and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. I hate to start this episode out on a sad note, but Aaron Carter passed recently and he was only 34 years old. And I think anyone who's kind of in my age range, at some point, I feel like you probably had a crush on Aaron Carter. For me, it was when he was in the I Want Candy music video in that Lizzie McGuire episode and Lizzie McGuire snuck on set and got to be in the music video. I mean, that is every dream of mine played out on TV. <laughs> like just randomly showing up to an artist I like, like Harry Styles and getting to be in his music video. I mean, can you imagine? I feel like he's very publicly had struggles in the past couple of years with mental struggles, drug struggles. His father passed, his older sister passed. So, you know, now Nick Carter, uh, who's in the Backstreet Boys, his older brother is having to deal now with the passing of two of his siblings. I know they were at times kind of not having the best relationship, but it's still so heartbreakingly sad. And I thought it was really sweet that Hillary Duff did a little statement about how, you know, at the time in her life when they were together, she cared for him so deeply. And the timing of it was so crazy because I just watched Selena Gomez's documentary that came out on Apple TV this past week. And again, I think it's so obvious with child stars what they go through and how emotionally tolling it is on them. And especially when you have someone on Selena Gomez's level who is at times like one of the most followed people in the world, at least on Instagram, which I think is a testament to just the sheer amount of fame that she has. I want to talk a little bit about the documentary and then we will talk about the Rolling Stone article that sort of accompanied the documentary uh, as we get into our articles for the day. But I enjoyed the documentary a lot because it felt starkly different than what you have from the J-Lo documentary, for instance. When we talked about that on here, I was saying how the whole thing kind of just felt for like an ad for how amazing and wonderful J-Lo is. And she is. And it definitely showed raw parts of her. But I feel like this documentary with Selena showed way darker parts of what Selena went through and felt really raw in a lot of ways. And, you know, at the same time, I'm not so delusional to think that it isn't curated. It isn't still presenting Selena in a light that isn't going to tank all of her businesses, right? You know, she sort of has, not even sort of, she has an empire at this point with Rare Beauty, the philanthropic work she does, her music career, her acting career. I mean, Only Murders in the Building is one of the most popular TV shows out right now. So again, I'm not naive enough to think that this wasn't kind of PR protected before it came out. And we're still only seeing a very small glimpse into Selena's life over the course of years, right? Because when this documentary started out, it was supposed to be about her revival tour back in 2016. And that tour ended up getting canceled because uh, Selena had a psychotic break, basically. And she had to be put into rehab and go through all of that. And then she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And she came out with that diagnosis back in 2020. But this is the first time we've really seen her speak about it. One of the huge discourses I've seen about this on TikTok and just articles about it, Twitter, etc., is how awful her friend Raquel Stevens is. And I just want to say that to this day, 
I think the meanest I've ever been about anyone on this podcast is about Raquel Stevens after watching season one of Selena and Chef that was on HBO Max. I didn't know there's four seasons of that out now. I need to go catch up because I've only seen the first two seasons and I love that show. If you don't remember, the concept is that it started in the pandemic. So Selena was at her house and she would Zoom with chefs and they would tell her how to cook a dish. And she was kind of bumbling in the kitchen and she was just very sweet and it was very fun to watch. But Raquel was a demon. Okay. And I just found her energy so gross that I like went on here. I ranted about how filled up her lips were and how bad it looked. And I don't usually, you know, knock on a, on a woman's appearance, but she just, she put me in that headspace. Like I was like, this girl, this girl sucks. Selena needs to drop this girl. So it's funny to me that it's kind of taken this documentary for people to be like, wow, like, yeah, this Raquel girl sucks. And I will say, I actually thought Raquel was better in the documentary than she was on the Selena and Chef series. I thought, felt like, Raquel was actually having to shoulder a lot of emotion from Selena because Raquel almost served as her emotional support animal. Um, You see her kind of traveling everywhere with her and it's unclear if she's actually an assistant or what role she plays. It definitely seems like she's on Selena's payroll or at least being funded as far as getting to go to Africa with Selena and just be there for her as she goes to these events. There was a one scene where she walks in and just doesn't even acknowledge Selena, and I thought that was outwardly bitchy, but I felt some of the other parts, it was just hard for her to navigate what Selena was going through. And I have to say, like, Selena really was popping off sometimes. And again, this is no hate towards Selena. I'm such a Selena fan. I think so many people feel very protective of her and it might be because she looks like a baby she definitely looks like the sexy baby that taylor swift is referring to an anti-hero you know she's so little and she's so cute and she's got the pouty little face but for example if you've seen it when she's getting so mad at the people who are asking her questions during the interview and she's like it's just so stupid like and then she asked me this deep question and she doesn't even follow up it's like she doesn't even care and i totally got what selena was saying during that but as someone who actually has done interviews it's can be very nerve-wracking for the person on the other side especially when you're interviewing someone like selena that i almost feel like they can disassociate a little bit like where they're not even seeing her as a person not because they don't see her as a person, but because they're so nervous and she's at this such high level of fame that it can be hard to conduct it in a way that you would normally if you were just talking to a friend, right? And on top of that, during these interviews, they have these extreme time uh, limits that they're working under. And on Selena's side of things, she had probably done, you know, 50 of these interviews in one day. And before she even started doing the press, she was like, I hate doing press tours. Like if there's one thing that I could just never want to do again, it would be press tours. So I feel for both sides in that situation. But I did like that about the documentary that it doesn't show Selena being like this perfect kind being all the time. Like it sees her snapping a little bit. And I love that she left that in. And when we get into the Rolling Stone article, we'll see that she was even a little bit hesitant to even have this documentary released because I think she saw just how kind of raw and real it all was. But I couldn't help feeling after I watched it that Selena is one of those people who I wish she really would just step out of the spotlight for a little while and it's hard when you see people like her that I think are just so inherently talented. If you've never seen her audition for Wizards of Waverly Place, Go look it up on YouTube. She's so young. I think she's only 11 years old when she's giving that audition. And she's so poised. And 
it's incredible. Like you can't imagine that role going to anyone else because she just plays it so perfectly, even at that young of an age. And I love her music. I know people hate on her music and hate on her singing. I think her songs are so fun. I've loved her since she was Selena Gomez in the scene. I have like quite a few of her albums. I think her songs are so fun. And even at the beginning when she did Selena Gomez in the scene, I felt like her sound was like not your typical Disney star turned singer sound. And I loved that about her. And, you know, now I feel like she also thinks she has to fulfill this purpose. And she's so intent on being like, I'm on this world for a reason and I have to fulfill that. And I think that just puts such immense pressure on her to just keep performing. And I think she finds joy in performing and purpose in that. And, you know, to make money so she can be philanthropic. But I just wish for her sake, she would just like tone it down and just step away for a little bit. Because like I said, look at all that's on her plate between Selena and Chef, Rare Beauty, TV shows, music, making new music, doing this documentary, doing press for all of these things. I mean, I can't even imagine how hard that would be, especially when you are already in an emotionally and mentally fragile state. Um, That was the one scene that I thought Raquel was really awful. And Raquel's asking Selena if she wants to go to a birthday party when they get back in LA. And mind you, Selena's been in Africa. She's been in London. And when she gets back to LA, she immediately has to shoot a music video. And she's just like, no, I can't go to that. Like I... I have to shoot a music video the next day. I haven't been able to rest at all. And Raquel's like, oh, okay. And she's like, Selena says, you're acting like you think I'm being ungrateful for my job. And it's not that. And Selena's like, well, yeah, it's, or I'm sorry. Raquel's like, yeah, it does seem like you're being a little ungrateful. And I'm like, I just wanted to reach through that TV and slap that girl. I really did. <laughs> it's like, girl, what the hell are you doing? You're just here on her dime. Like, what skills do you have? What are you bringing to the table? I was looking at her Instagram and I saw that she released a book with Tanya Rad, who's a uh, she's kind of like a TV personality. She has a really popular podcast with Becca Tilly from um, The Bachelor. So I'm like, did Tanya write all of this? Like, what does Raquel do? Can someone enlighten me? Because I would love to know. And of course, uh, Raquel's parents are heavily involved in the Hillsong Church that you've probably heard of before. That to me just seems like, honestly, on the level of Scientology as far as a money grab and cults like. She, um, the mom, Heidi Stevens, it says she's head of the pastoral care team in LA. I have no idea what the hell that means. If someone can enlighten me, please let me know. Pastoral care? Okay, I looked it up. Sorry, I'm I'm so ignorant about church things, but I guess it's just uh, kind of like the emotional, mental care you get from a pastor, the team around the pastor at a church. Like even, you know, if at a hospital, how they have pastoral care um, and like a chaplain and a religious figure there when someone's passing or if people need religious guidance. So I guess she heads up that team at Hillsong. She probably makes buku bucks too, because I'm telling you, that church is a money grab if I've ever seen one. Anyways, bottom line, I'm just a little smug and a little glad that people are getting around to how shitty of a friend Raquel Stevens is. And with that said, let's get into our first article of the day. Y'all, this first article had me howling, and I feel like we needed to start out with something a little lighthearted because, you know, the next articles we're getting into, they kind of get into the the weeds. Actually, our next article is fun. Don't worry. All right, so our first article is actually from CNN. It's written by Lisa France, and it's called Ina Garden's Husband Sends Spicy Texts That Sometimes Go Astray. I'll let that just percolate for a little bit in your mind Um, because honestly, I have to say, as someone who's watched Ina Garden, I had just become fully convinced that... Jeffrey, Ina's husband, was really just like her gay best friend that 
she decided to, you know, settle down with. Um, and they were just fine with that arrangement and they have all their gay, fabulous friends over for dinner and they just have a grand old time. And I thought that was a lovely arrangement if that's what they wanted, you know? And I also love it because I'm sure I've said this on here before because, you know, I have to shout out Dartmouth every time I can. Um, Jeffrey actually went to Dartmouth and Ina was visiting her older brother who also went to Dartmouth. And so Jeffrey sees Ina and says, look at that girl. Isn't she beautiful? He said that to his roommate and he spotted her through a little library window. Isn't that adorable? Like, oh my God. I wish I knew exactly which library it was. I have not been back to Dartmouth in many, many a years. It's been like 10 years at this point. But next time I go there, I would like to go to that window and just see the view that Jeffrey had, you know? Okay, so anyways, back to this story. Ina told Drew Barrymore, because uh, she's going to be on her show, that Jeffrey sends her, quote, love text. And I have never heard them referred to that as such. Um, but I think we should start using that term more often than, you know, sexting or things that are so coarse such as that. I think love text is very cute, but she says that sometimes they go astray. So Ina says, my dear friend, who's also my publicist, he sent a text to her and he meant it for me. And he said, you're going to be delicious tonight. And it went to her. She was like, whoa, she sent it back. I don't think this was meant for me. I mean, I also love that it was sent literally to her publicist. Like, not only is it her friend, it's also her publicist. So I wonder if her publicist was like, you know what? This would actually be like a cute story to tell when you go on Drew Barrymore. Like, because, you know, people think Jeffrey's gay. So maybe this will just confirm for everyone that you guys like still get it on. Or at least that's how I imagine that conversation going. Anyways, I just had to share that with you guys because it gave me a good laugh. Our next article is in the Rolling Stone and it is Jennifer Coolidge Doesn't Have Time to Be a Worm by Angie Martocho. And... Obviously, this headline is referring to Heidi Klum going as a worm for Halloween and, you know, Jennifer Coolidge. She just does not have time to dress up in something that elaborate. As most things with Jennifer Coolidge, this interview was a delight from start to finish. Right off the bat, I'm obsessed with how it starts because Jennifer Coolidge's coffee maker is broken. So Jennifer's calling from her home in New Orleans, which I didn't know she had a home in New Orleans. I love that. I love New Orleans. She can't get it to work. So she says, I hope you don't think I'm an amoeba because I have no personality. We already postponed this with you and I don't want to be the pain in the ass. So I'm just going to have to do it with my low energy. And you know what, Jennifer, she still delivers. She doesn't need the coffee to be a charming queen. And sort of the theme of this article is that, you know, not that long ago, Jennifer Coolidge could just pop over to her local coffee shop and get coffee and wouldn't really be recognized. And now it's like a whole thing. And this to me is shocking. Like the whole theme of this article is that with the White Lotus and The Watcher coming out and then season two of The White Lotus, Jennifer uh, Coolidge is the only character that carries over from season one of The White Lotus. Otherwise, it's kind of like an anthology almost because it's set in the Rome, not the Rome, I'm sorry, the Sicily version of the White Lotus Resort. The first season was Hawaii. So I just can't believe that she doesn't have so much fame before all of this. I mean, She's been in so many iconic roles, Legally Blonde, American Pie, A Cinderella Story, Best in Show. Like, I mean, she's been in so many TV shows as well, like Two Broke Girls. She had a recurring role in that and that show was on forever and she kind of stole every scene she was in, I think. So I just, I'm like at a loss for words because I can't imagine her not always kind of being an A-lister, 
right? Or being able to go out and not be recognized. Because on top of all that, she's so instantly recognizable between her voice and how she looks. So I don't know if the author of this was just kind of taking this as their stance and running with it, but I just don't believe that this has really changed Jennifer Coolidge's fame to such level. But I mean, she, in, in defense of the author of this, Jennifer says it did. She says, I can't just walk over in my bathroom, you know, about the coffee shop. She says, I miss the days where I was anonymous, where you can just throw on some weird hat and walk over there. I can't do that. You have to brush your hair and put on makeup. You have to get it together. How boring. I loved this part because she talks about how she threw a Halloween party. And she's like, usually it's huge. There's 150 people there. But this year it was only 50 people. And it's the same group of neighbors that always come. And she says that one of them dressed up as her when she was doing her Emmy speech that we obviously talked about on this podcast. And then there was another person who was dressed up as a lavender bath. Because if you'll recall, while she was giving her speech, she's like, oh, I took a lavender bath before I came here. And she's like, it's making me feel like a little, like it was making her feel kind of sweaty and tight in her dress, I think. Like she's having a little bit of allergic reaction to it. So the fact that someone showed up to Jennifer Coolidge's own Halloween party dressed up as her and as someone dressed as a lavender bath, I mean... I want to meet those people. I want to be those people. She says, when people make an effort like that, you really can't fake that enthusiasm. I mean, ain't that the truth? So the author asks, a bath is so elaborate. What did the costume look like? She says, it was amazing. He built this little bathtub and then had lavender and white balloons for the lavender bubble bath. His lavender bath was better than what I had. Bath salts don't really bubble, but it was just so clever. (laughs) And when she's asked what she dressed up as at her party, she says, I came in this massive wig. People are like, what are you? I have no idea what this is. So she doesn't even know what she wore to her own party. I also loved in this because she talks about how good Ariana Grande's impression of her when she dressed up as her in Best in Show was. Again, we talked about that last week, how spot on it was. And it really is. Like, again, I'm reminding you guys, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. And she said she told Ariana how much she loved it. She says, of course, I couldn't believe it. And so many people sent it to me. They go, it's almost you, Jennifer. It's you. I also love this quote because I really stand by that, you know, it's never like it's too late to do things. Because the author asked her, how do you think your life would have been different if you had gained all of this fame early on? She says, that's very interesting. I don't know who I'd be by now. If you want to hear an honest answer, I would say that I'd rather end my life with some great things than to have them happen in my 30s and then have it fizzle out. But I have to say, I found funny clips from some shows that I did in my early 30s, some comedy stuff that I did. And I remember thinking, oh, I must have sucked. But looking back at it at this age, I was like, I wasn't bad and I was really thin and I was much cuter and no one wanted me. It's weird how I had way more going for me physically, but who knows why things didn't happen after Best in Show or any of those things. I'd rather end with a bang than the opposite. And I think it's just a good reminder, especially, you know, at our age, because I know a lot of you listening to this are my age or younger, that you think that things like aren't going to get better or there aren't things to still look forward to, or at least I know I feel like that sometimes. And I just feel like it's the slow march towards death, right? Or quick march towards death sometimes. And, you know, you get really stuck in your head over that. And it's just a good reminder to be like, you know what? Like you have no idea what's going to happen. And there could be really amazing things coming all of our ways, guys. Sorry, before I start waxing too poetic, I also love that In the 80s, she worked with Sandra Bullock at a New York restaurant. I had no idea. I that's just like a fun little piece of pop culture history that I'm very glad this author brought up. 
And she says that two of the waitresses um, from this place were at her Halloween party. Apparently, Sandra was a hostess and Jennifer was a cocktail waitress. But she says at the end, I wasn't showing up to my shifts a lot. I was going out on the town and not being very good. So Sandra ended up getting my cocktail shifts. She was very pulled together, very pretty girl. Stuff was already brewing. She had stuff going on. As far as what Jennifer does to relax, she says, my dog loves my bed and I love my bed and I like to lay down in my bed. And as I'm currently sitting on my bed in sweats with my little dog next to me, I mean, Jennifer, I get you, girl. I get you. She says, a lot of people are like, well, I like to surf. That makes me relax. But mine, it doesn't involve any sort of athleticism. It's just getting in the bed and watching movies if I can make the television work. That's my favorite. I will end the discussion of this article with some advice from Jennifer and her favorite quote. As for advice that she would give her younger self, she says, hang in there. If someone isn't nice to you, believe it. I always feel like I was in such denial. For whatever reason, I would still hang out. I don't know what that is, but I didn't quite believe that they didn't like me. And then her favorite quote is, character is fate. Ah, just give me all the Jennifer Coolidge interviews. She never gets old for me. Speaking of another famous Jennifer, let's talk about Jennifer Aniston. She did this sort of bears all interview for Allure magazine. It's called Jennifer Aniston Has Nothing to Hide by Danielle Pergament. And she is wearing this insane Chanel bikini on the cover. It's this famous 1996 Chanel bikini. And I swear, like, no one can pull off this bikini. It's not that cute. It's so unflattering. It's just like two little pepperonis tied together with strings, but it's black and it has the Chanel CCs on it. So, you know, that elevates it a little bit but um i have to say she looks incredible in everything she has this like gucci thong on and other pictures this like really like back bearing dress that goes all the way down like you can see her whole thigh inside of her back i mean she's stunning and a lot of people are of course talking about her sort of journey with ivf that she's never opened up with before but there's a lot of other cute things in this article that i wanted to talk about so the interviewer comes in and jennifer immediately offers to make her a shake which sounds like a smoothie and she's like in the kitchen gathering all the ingredients making it for her her two dogs are there they're licking the author i mean it just sounds like a scene again that i would like to be a part of and again maybe this is just the sort of line of advice i feel like i need today but she sort of echoes the sentiment that jennifer coolidge was just talking about and says i feel the best in who i am today better than i ever did in my 20s or 30s even or my mid 40s we need to stop saying bad shit to ourselves you're going to be 65 one day and think i looked fucking great at 53 she says i would say my late 30s 40s i gone through really hard shit and if it wasn't for going through that i would have never become who i was meant to be that's why i have such gratitude for all those shitty things otherwise i would have been stuck being this person that was so fearful so nervous so unsure of who they were and now i don't fucking care and that's when she finally just says i was trying to get pregnant it was a challenging road for me the baby making road so then the author is just like i had no idea which again i'm sure this was out of nowhere like she was dumbfounded by this And so Jennifer's like, yeah, nobody does. All the years and years of speculation, it was really hard. I was going through IVF, drinking Chinese teas, you name it. I was throwing everything at it. I would have given anything if someone had said to me, freeze your eggs, do yourself a favor. You just don't think it. So here I am today. The ship has sailed. And damn, that hit me too, because I've been thinking about freezing my eggs and I really just don't fucking want to do it. Honestly, I don't want to go through the pain of doing it. I don't want to inject myself. Like, I really don't want to do it, but I know it's like, it's not a decision that I think anyone my age takes lightly and everything surrounding all this stuff is so personal and so heavy feeling. And 
I wish I had like the right answer because who knows? I don't even know if I have viable eggs. Like I literally don't know. There's so much around it that's scary. And I, you know, as corny as it is, I do think women coming out and openly talking about this and someone on Jennifer Aniston's level, like I don't know why she finally decided in the year 2022 to be open about this, but I think it's good she's doing so. And, you know, we talk so much about how the tabloids were so awful to Britney, but I don't think we talk enough about how often Jennifer had to have headlines about her being pregnant. I can't think of a more repeated tabloid over the course of my life than speculation over whether Jennifer Aniston was pregnant. And she says there was the personal pain of the narrative that I was just selfish and that I just cared about my career. And God forbid a woman is successful and doesn't have a child. And the reason my husband left me, why we broke up and ended our marriage was because I wouldn't give him a kid. It was absolute lies. I don't have anything to hide at this point. Like, can you imagine like already going through this pain and uncertainty of no, like how you want to handle this and what you want to do. And then having people say that about you, like, damn, So all of that is part of the reason she wrote an op-ed for the Huffington Post back in 2016, um, slamming the media for the obsession with her being pregnant and its treatment of women generally. And again, it's 2022 and we still do this shit. This part I found fascinating and maybe this is no knowledge if you're like a true Jennifer Aniston fan, but I had no idea. She says she moved to California. It was the summer of 1989. She walked into a party in Laurel Canyon. This girl says, come with us. We're doing a circle. I was like, what's a circle? It was all women and they saged you before you went in. Then a talking stick. I'm sure with feathers on it. The woman called in the four directions and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Am I in a cult? Hours later, woman after woman, just speaking, sharing thoughts and fears, worries, how incredible women are for each other. That's how I got into that world, which I guess would be called woo-woo. It was very woo-woo. And apparently, these women who are in this woo-woo circle still to this day remain her closest friends. And there's framed photos of them all around her house, of them hiking, traveling, smiling, sharing their lives together. The author calls it a close-knit coven of old friends and points out that in a lot of ways, maybe the TV show was sort of life imitating art. And then the author asks, would you ever get married again? And she says, never say never, but I don't have any interest. I love a relationship. Who knows? There are moments I want to just crawl up in a ball and say I need support. It would be wonderful to come home and fall into somebody's arms and say that was a tough day. And then the article ends with her saying she really wants to write a book. She says, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to stop saying I can't write. I've spent so many years protecting my story about IVF. I'm so protective of these parts because I feel like there's so little that I get to keep to myself. The world creates narratives that aren't true, so I might as well tell the truth. I feel like I'm coming out of hibernation. I don't have anything to hide. So that's sort of, I guess, a glimpse into why she, for some reason, now just decided that was a part of her personal life that she wanted to share. Because I'm not saying she at all owed us that explanation or anything. I just thought it was kind of funny that apparently Allure did not have a heads up that she was going to be revealing this. And it sort of became the main focus of the article. And I guess you would say the main focus and theme of today's episode of Kind of Cute is just women really being raw and real and expressing their stories. So next up, we have Selena Gomez's Rolling Stone article. And I'm going to pull from the Rolling Stone article and the Cut article that talks about the documentary and the Rolling Stone article. So I alluded to this earlier that Selena was nervous about releasing this. So it says this documentary is so raw that Gomez almost didn't sign off on its release. I'm just so nervous because I have the platform I have. It's kind of like I'm sacrificing myself a little bit for a greater purpose. I don't want that to sound dramatic, but I almost wasn't going to put this out. God's honest truth. A few weeks ago, I wasn't sure I could do it. 
Okay, this part of the article I thought was so crazy because she was in Mexico with her friends. They're just outside. She decides she wants to watch documentaries inside, which I totally get. I'm a documentary girly. So she sees a trailer for 1991's Madonna's Truth or Dare. And so she checks it out. She's like, I run outside. I tell everybody they have to come watch this documentary. So she reaches out to the filmmaker and, (laughs) you know, just conveniently, the filmmaker, Alec Kashishian, um, is her manager's brother. So she persuaded him to do the 2015 video for Hands to Myself. And when that went well, and she tells him that they're doing the revival tour. So she kind of says it'd be cool to do an artful concert documentary that's like Madonna's Truth or Dare. And he wasn't really interested in doing another documentary about a musician because he had already done that. But he was interested in this idea of capturing, you know, this young pop star to fully fledged artist. And he told her, he's like, if we're going to do this, you have to let me film everything. Like it has to be really raw and intimate. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And she really did let him in on everything. And when they started this together, she was only 24 years old. So he was like, I really want to make sure, you know, this is something she's comfortable with. And again, she really did let him have access to everything. So back in 2018, this was when she's in the middle of her revival tour. Again, they're already filming the documentary. She starts hearing voices and she's taken to a treatment center for psychosis. And that's how her mother, Mandy, found out she was in treatment by TMZ. That's literally how she the news of her hospitalization broke. And Selena says she doesn't remember a lot from this time, but her friends say she was basically unrecognizable at this time. She doesn't say this in the documentary, but she says it in the article that she was starting to feel like I was not in control of what I was feeling, whether that was really great or bad. It would start with depression, then it would go into isolation, then it was just me not being able to move from my bed. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. And while she never actually had, um, sorry, trigger warning, any attempts at suicide, she did have suicidal thoughts and ideation and thought the world would be a better place if she wasn't there. So again, it's just very sad. And you see a lot of parallels between her story and Demi Lovato's. And, you know, Demi Lovato and her even roomed at one period of time, obviously had kind of parallel come ups on the Disney Channel. And it's just so sad. And I just, I know I've said this so many times on here, but I just hope as time goes on, there's more protection for child actors and child stars and that they're given the resources where they don't fall prey to all of these pressures of the industry. I know that's easier said than done, but you just read this stuff and like, damn, it breaks your heart. You're like, all the money in the world cannot make you a happy person or solve your problems. It just, it doesn't. So to end this on a happier note, we have an article from Mia Mercado, past guest of Kinda Cute. If you haven't listened to her episode yet, go back a few episodes. We did a lovely interview with her. I can't shut up about Goop's 2022 holiday gift guide. This is how I know Mia is just a like-minded soul. I, every year, cannot get enough of the Goop gift guide. I even mentioned it last week. I really enjoyed this article of hers. She says, at this point, Goop is just baiting us to talk about how absurd its gift guides are. After all, this is the brand known for such classic hits as the Jade Vagina Ed and the reportedly exploding vagina candle. 
Alongside gift ideas for kids, hosts, and travelers, Goop has an entire list called The Ridiculous But Awesome Gift Guide. And you know what? I will gladly take its diamond-encrusted college and Florida. She says gifts run the gamut from expensive to house down payment. Though Goop has generously curated an under $100 guide for us peons, the least expensive item is a five-pack of dietary supplement packets at $12. There's also a $15 bottle of wine. Both of these seem perfectly reasonable until you realize the guide includes two different kinds of artisanal toilet paper, a six-pack of neon toilet paper at $18 and a 24-pack of bamboo toilet paper at $44. The most expensive item is a vintage Ford Bronco, which starts at $250,000. Mia also pointed out what I thought was one of the most absurd gifts. It's a $28,500 sex dungeon chase lounge. This thing is terrifying looking. Like It's cool at first, and then when you see it has like the little stirrups, so like when you're at the gyno, that's immediately no for me. And then she finishes it by saying... This year's piece de resistance is this literal bag of poop. More specifically, it's a nine-pound bag of free-range animal manure at $75. But we all know what this really is, a sack of shit. I hope the editorial staff member who suggested adding a giftable poop to Gwyneth Paltrow's internet got an immediate standing ovation. Honestly, I think Mackenzie would like if I gave her manure because the soil in Florida sucks. That shit is sand, okay? And this stuff, I mean, it looks fancy, free-range composted manure from Flamingo Estate. I mean, it's gorgeous. The bag alone, I'm into. So maybe that's what Kenzie's getting this year. That Honestly, seeing her open a literal bag of shit for Christmas, she can probably hear me saying this right now, so the surprise might be ruined. But I would die. Like, Also, how do you wrap that? Because wouldn't the smell like seep out? Manure is not really supposed to have a strong smell um, once it's composted. Like once you compost it, that's supposed to kind of take all of that out. But I can't imagine it smells good. Okay. <laughs> all right. With that being said, we made it to our blind item of the day. So I scrolled through crazy days and nights for a while to find like a traditional blind item about Jennifer Aniston. And there's tons of stories about her. Again, just highlighting how many pregnancy stories there were about her and to give him his due, because sometimes he does not speak about women very kindly. NT who does crazy days and nights was like, we got to stop with the pregnancy talk. Like this is ridiculous. Let this woman live. And as usual, you know, blind items, take them with a grain of salt. This one he wrote about, but it actually comes from the Enquirer tabloid. It says that Jennifer Aniston and Justin Thoreau had a nasty fight following a dinner the other night. Mind you, this is back in February 3rd of 2012. Justin and Jennifer stayed together until 2018. So, you know, this was way before they divorced. Uh, it says Justin stopped and wanted to chat with Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban, you know, about celebrity stuff and shit. Jennifer grabbed Justin and moved him along. You think she is embarrassed of him? Ashamed? Apparently when Justin was being led away by Jennifer, he said, holy crap, what was that about? Yep. Sounds like a super intense fight. I'm kind of happy with them going out. When she is single, then the tabloids try to find her someone and every guy she sees is a potential lover and father for her babies. When she's with someone, then we are reduced to baby stories, less covers and less talk. Um, yeah, so I, so really, I just thought this was interesting because I'm like, does Jennifer Aniston have beef with Nicole Kidman or Keith Urban? Like, why did she not want to stop and chat with them? Why was she like, come on, Justin, like move it along? Because <laughs> I think this could have probably been true. I don't, obviously it's not a huge fight or anything, but this is like one of those ones that's weird enough and specific enough that it could have some validity to it. But maybe she just didn't want to start a scene because can you imagine walking into a restaurant and you see Justin Thoreau, Jennifer Aniston, Keith Urban, and Nicole Kidman just having a chat? 
that's a lot for any pop culture heart to handle. All right, guys, we have made it to our legit shit of the week on episode 145. Before I get to it, I would like to give you guys a reminder that it helps me out so much if you rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, if you share it with a friend, if you tag me in an Instagram post, if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram. Definitely follow me at TikTok. I'm at Bailey Evan. I do a lot of um, what celebrities can't live without stories from the strategists that we sometimes cover on here. You can also find those on my TikTok. And it's just you know it's kind of a good time over there that's where i have my most followers so if you want to be one of them please and again i'm always stagnant with my ratings and reviews so i would love if you could add one on there it's so easy it takes so little time and it means a lot to me okay for our legit shit today this is another item that was gifted to me but i have been wanting to try this brand for so long and it is topicals it is black owned woman owned their packaging is super cute i don't know why i hadn't just bit the bullet and tried it yet i think it's just because i'm constantly buying so many products it was just on my to-do list and i hadn't gotten to it and then they graciously sent me two products they sent me um i was able to pick which ones i wanted and i got butter and slather and i haven't used slather enough yet that's for like body and it has um some acids in it to help with you know little little pilling and stuff on the arms but butter is just this really moisturizing mask or you can just use it as like an overnight mask or you can take it off after like 15 minutes and it is really moisturizing it feels very pleasant on uh it's kind of it's the same concept of the summer fridays jet lag mask if you've tried that one it's a little bit runnier than that but i found that it doesn't clog my pores or anything and i've only used it a few times but so far i really like it and just like with the merit one that i talked about last week um this was gifted to me but i'm under no obligation to like share it with you guys or talk about it but you can use kind of cute podcasts all caps for 10 percent off your first order with topical if you want to use that i don't even think that's an affiliate link that's it's not i think that's just so that you guys can get 10% off. Um, if you use it, let me know. I'm so honored that I've got stuff from Merit and Topicals. Like I love both of those brands now that I've got to try them. So thank you guys for listening and I will see you next week. Bye.